Hey, my name is Tiffany Vaughn, and I'm on a mission to help regular people like me find their voice and then use it for lifting themselves and others up around them. I'm a small town mom to three kiddos with my hubby James, and man, have we been dealing with a lot. But isn't everyone? I lovingly call it our hard, beautiful journey, and I bet that yours is too. In season one, I tossed the bricks from my shoulders that were weighing me down. Bricks that represented shame, embarrassment, regret, loss, you name it, I was feeling it. I am now taking those bricks and building up a stronger foundation for myself and our family. I've created this safe space for me and you to open our hearts and our minds and to use our voices to help others know they are not alone in their struggles. Mental health, marriage and divorce, infertility, parenting, and some soul journey work are all topics that we discuss here. Let's be real for a minute. Life can definitely be hard, but it can also be so dang beautiful. Am I right? So pull up a cozy seat, grab your beverage of choice, and join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to Hard Beautiful Journey. First off, I want to apologize for getting this episode out a little later than normal. Life definitely has ways of making you stop what you're doing and just be. And that has happened for me over the past couple weeks. For those that don't know me well, I like to call myself a professional napper. I could absolutely win the gold medal at the Olympics for napping. But this past couple weeks, my 20-minute siestas have turned into two to three-hour events. But I'm just listening to my body and surrendering. The other thing that has come up for me is the need to step back from social media for a bit. Don't get me wrong. I will be back using all of the things in no time. But I needed to get focused and get some things done for my coaching business. And the gram was definitely getting in my way. Anywho, on to today's episode, and it is a great one. My guest today is an incredible author and founder of Lovemark. Halima Yates is here to talk with me about her book called Dissolving the Anchor. After a suicide attempt, Halima wanted to stop feeling numb, sad, and angry at the world. When life's challenges anchored her down, emotional distress kidnapped her spirit. She needed to rediscover her power. To change her life, Halima faced the sources that birthed her fears, shattered her self-esteem, and created her self-sabotaging behavior. Part memoir and part self-help guide, Dissolving the Anchor illustrates a journey from self-critical thoughts and suicidal ideation to an elevated mindset. As a warning, this episode discusses suicide, so if you are feeling vulnerable in this area, please consult with a doctor or mental health professional in your area. Here is my interview with Halama. Hello, Halama. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Tiffany? I am doing so good. I am so excited to talk to you about your book. I just finished telling you off um, offline that I read your book while I was out camping. And yeah, I, I tend to ignore my children when I'm reading really good books, and this was no exception. So sorry, kids, but her book is just way too good. It has everything in it. Everything. Like, okay, this book is called Dissolving the Anchor, which is amazing, but it has a captivating story. It has incredible artwork, which you did, right? I actually commission artwork from artists around the world. So some local artists here in Colorado, but then people in different countries as well. Like some of the art I did do, but a lot of it is from other artists. But it like, it just, I, you have to see this artwork. It's unbelievable. And then there's also poetry, which you wrote. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to be reading a couple of the pieces for us today. And yeah, wow. They... They're just that incredible. But before we get into all of that and get too far, I would like you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Well, once again, Tiffany, thank you for having me on your show. I have listened to a few of your podcasts and they're so engaging and just 
amazing. I love listening to your story and how brave you are with sharing it and then having this platform for us to share our voice as well. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, But yeah, just to share a little bit about me. Um, right now, I currently have a company I've had it for about four years. It's called Love Mark, spelled L-U-V-M-R-K. And it's based here in Denver, Colorado, but we work with clients nationally and internationally where we guide people into valuing themselves and valuing others. So we provide self-empowerment workshops to foster social, emotional, and mental wellness. And then we also provide diversity, equity, inclusion training in order to endorse humanizing perceptions of each other. So we can be able to cultivate and uphold respectful, equitable, and inclusive environments. And um, so with this company, I realized how I wanted to finish this book because I started writing it years ago I mean like 20 23 years ago is when I really started writing this book and it was mainly poetry I went back and forth with it off and on over the years because it just wasn't right I feel like it wasn't going in the direction I would like it to go in so when I started this company and and doing the workshops and getting the feedback seeing how it's been impactful it had me realize what I really wanted this book to be about what I wanted to say and how it could be effective for the reader so I was so happy to finally like know what I wanted to do. So I, when I finally realized how I wanted to write this book, there was no stopping me. I just was working night and day during any breaks, like just all the time I was working on this book. And um, I thought I was done with it. It was like um, 2020, I thought I was done with it. I had editors look at it and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I have someone format it. And then I was looking into how to distribute it, how to get it published. And I found a self-publishing company and they were just like, um, yeah, we would love to work with you, but it's not marketable. <laughs> so I was like, oh, darn, I'm not done. So I started working with them and went through more series of edits. And it wasn't where it completely changed the book like from the beginning, but um, it was just making sure that I was, like I said before, making it effective for the reader and um, having their help was just amazing. And so finally published the book, <laughs> just recently got it out uh, just a couple weeks ago. So I'm excited about that. And it's, it's been going pretty well. I've been happy with the feedback I've been getting with it. But my whole purpose was just to make sure that I can use my experience and any advice I can provide to have people realize that they matter. They just know their value. They can emotionally heal, be able to know their capacity to manage and overcome adversities be able to create the kind of life that they want to live. Uh, So with this book, just to give uh, a description of what it's about, as you shared before, I'm providing poetry as well as narratives and then art that's commissioned from artists worldwide. And it's giving a real and raw look at the experiences that I've had that led me to have negative self-image, low self-esteem, go to substance use and um, have suicidal ideation. I then detail how I came out of that struggle to then finally value myself and be able to, as I'm knowing my worth, knowing who I am, discovering myself and and figuring out, you know, who I really am instead of the parts of me that I created in order to fit in, depending on who I'm around or appease certain people, uh, finally finding myself and making choices that aren't self-sabotaging and choices that are actually beneficial and and help me to have the kind of life that I truly want to live and um, just be more happy. <laughs> so yeah, I created this book to just share all of what I've been through, provide any advice that I can in order to help inspire other people. But I, I wanna share that I'm not speaking from a clinical perspective. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm just someone who has lived through certain things and I figured out how to get through it. And you know, I, I had someone tell me the other day, how, and, and it wasn't really just the other day, but it, it was probably about maybe a year or two ago with me doing my workshops and everything. And they unfortunately told me like, why would anyone really want to hear what you have to say? Because there's this parameter that we use to value our worth. And no, I don't have a ton of followers. No, I'm not rich with millions of dollars, you know, in my account or anything like that. But I'm an everyday person who my success is being that I'm here today. And if I have a choice, I choose to see tomorrow. My success is being able to manage and overcome adversities. My success is being able to know my worth, no matter what I go through. And that is my success. And I'm sharing that with others for them to know their worth and have a positive self-identity and self-image and a higher self-esteem. And if I can have anyone feel that way, then 
that's great. That's what I'm promoting. <laughs> so, yeah. And so I, you know, I continued with my workshop. I didn't allow that comment to affect me. And, and with this book, um, you know, the same thing, it, it's going to be for whoever it's for, whatever happens with it is what happens with it. So thank you very much for that. I wanted to let you know that the beginning of your book, it captivated me personally because I, when I was 16 years old, I also attempted suicide the exact same way as you and pretty much how you described it, sitting at that table and putting one in after the other, uh, like it was exact. And then the feeling of, um, I should call someone, (laughs) I should call someone because I really didn't want to do this. And I just wanted to get rid of the pain, but I don't want to die. Like it, it was me. I have been there. And that is such a scary place to be when you're that age. Were you, how old were you again when that happened? Yeah. Same age. I was 16. 16. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, right from the beginning, you (laughs) had me hooked obviously. Um, But then the rest of the book is incredible. And there, the dissolve your anchor is the name of the book. So what does it mean to dissolve your anchor and transform your life? So the anchor itself is anything that is preventing you from moving forward in life, preventing you from being happy, preventing you from being able to do anything you want to live, the kind of life you want to live. So in order to dissolve your anchor, you have to be able to identify what specifically created it to begin with. So for me, after I attempted suicide, I I had to realize, okay, am I going to keep struggling like this? Or am I going to figure out how to actually be happy to get up and be breathing each day? And so what I did was I had to just go back into my history and realize what did I experience? What did I learn from family, peers, uh, education, religion, politics, our environment, the media? What did I learn from all these factors teaching me who I was that had me devalue myself? So I had to look at all that and be able to unaccept any of those lessons that were harmful to my views of myself. And I also needed to look at the experiences in a way to forgive whether it was myself or someone else, because I'm holding on to that pain. I'm holding on to that experience and carrying it on to my current life, which was affecting my current decisions. So I needed to have that forgiveness, not to excuse anything that I've done or what anyone else has done or the event behavior. It's more of a way to let go of that pain. So you can finally be able to just breathe and be in the present moment. And I'm a full believer in remembering things that you've been through, remembering things that you've done, but use them as lessons. Instead of using it as the anchor to continue holding you back, use it as you can learn from it. And what can you do now in your life um, to not do that again, or in order to manage situations that come up that are similar to that. So if you want to dissolve your anchor, that's how I was able to do it. It's just and, and I recommend that for everyone is being able to realize what created it to begin with. So you know what you need to resolve. Absolutely. You owe nothing is a part of the book as well, which it's a lesson I need to learn <laughs> a lot. You owe nothing. Teach others how to respect you by setting kind boundaries. You want to explain that one further? Yeah. So growing up as I was trying to figure out who I was, I went through this this phase where I felt like I was one person trying to be multiple people in order to get one person to love me. And as I was doing that, I'm, I'm either silencing my voice or I'm changing my character in whatever way I can in order to make sure that I can not be abandoned, rejected, criticized, or just judged in any way. And when you're doing that, and if you continue to do that, then you're going to be continuing to live a life where you're stimulating and conforming in order to be accepted. And that's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for our mental stability to be doing that. And so once I, I started realizing who I was and what I really wanted in life and what I could accept and not accept, that's when I was able to realize what type of behavior I'll accept from others, what type of treatment I'll accept from others and how I'll treat other people 
Um, but before that happened, <clears throat> I was just making choices that weren't healthy for me and I would have unhealthy relationships and I would just do things in order to make sure I can keep people around. And so I didn't know how to have those boundaries where I would say, no, I don't really want to do this or no, I don't feel comfortable with this. No, I don't want to talk about that. You know, I, every man now then I could have those moments where I would speak my truth, but um, yeah, in the book, that part where I'm sharing about, you know, not being able for you to be able to have those boundaries, I'm just sharing an experience that I had where, you know, this guy was going too far and in, 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 in all naturally, like it wasn't like too far, but it was too far for me mm-hmm. at that moment of what I wanted to do. And so I had to let him know, like, no, let's stop. I, I don't want to go any further. And he got so upset and and then my friend was defending me to him, you know, later on on the phone. And I was thinking, wait a minute, why are you defending me? Why is he calling me outside my name? I didn't owe him anything. I didn't have to do anything with him because that's what he wanted. So if someone comes to you and they want more from you, whether it's a friendship or uh, an intimate relationship, they can be kind to you. They can be buying you gifts. They could do whatever they feel will get you to get them to do what they want you to do. And you don't have to, you, I mean, I do believe in being kind, but you don't have to go against what you want to do in your, in your boundaries and your life and who you are in order for them to be happy in order for them to get what they want. So I feel like know who you are, know what you'll, what you will allow and what you will do and what you feel comfortable doing. And it's okay to tell someone, no, I don't want to be in a relationship with you. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that far. You can say no. (laughs) And I feel like sometimes we think that if we say no, we're not being kind. If we say no, then we're being some jerk and we're being rude, but you know, you can, you can say no. And you know, I mean, I guess it depends on how you say it too. Like, you don't need to be a jerk about it, but it depends on the situation, you know? So I just feel like be true to yourself, be honest with yourself. And if you want to say no, then say no. Absolutely. This past couple of, I would say three years actually, is when I finally made the decision to stop putting on those different faces, those different um, people, you know, just to keep people around. And I'm just going to be me. And if you like me, you can hang out with me. You can be in my life. And if you don't, then it wasn't meant to be. And it's so much easier. Your life just gets so much easier when you stop putting these faces on. Did you find that? Yeah. um, I definitely feel like there's less pressure. You can just breathe (laughs) because you're not pretending that that's the thing. And it's hard to get there because we put so much we have all these different barometers to determine someone's worth you know how many followers do you have how much money do you have how pretty are you there's so many things of what we do to determine someone's worth and we're trying to live up to those expectations and you you know who really wants to like have nobody in their life like it's a human need to have companionship but you want to make sure that you're being true to who you are and you're attracting the people who are good for you. You're attracting the people who will respect you for who you are, who love you for who you are. And when you also love yourself, you can see the other people who do care about you and love you for who you are. Because for a while, I did not love myself and I couldn't tell the difference between people who really cared about me and people who were out to get me or who didn't care about me. I, I couldn't tell the difference. So it is, it's important to know who you are and to love yourself. Power of your voice. This is a big one because I am all about, my mission is to help people start to use their voice because of the power that their voice holds. And for me, I've said it in a few interviews, but for me, I, I came out of my dark hole, my deep, deep depression from actually starting to talk and sharing what was on my heart and, and the struggles that I've been um, challenged with. And so realizing that when I actually started talking the power behind it, it, it just, I don't know, I can't even describe in enough words, how important it is to actually find your voice and then start using it. So what does power of your voice mean to you and in this book? 
Yeah, just knowing your voice matters. That's that's what that means to me. When I was younger, I went, I wrote poetry in order to help me understand what was going on within me to work through what I was experiencing and just let it out. That was how I was able to articulate what was going on within me. And it wasn't where I shared it with anybody. At first, it was just, let me just write it for myself. It was like my diary. Mm -hmm. And when I got a little bit older, I started sharing it with others. And I don't even remember how it all started. I think maybe someone else was writing poetry and then we just started sharing what we would write, whether it was poetry or, you know, monologue or something. And when I started sharing, I noticed how people were, were like relating to it and how they felt something from it. And that had me realize, oh, okay. So maybe what I have to say can actually impact other people. And that's when I started sharing poetry and then, you know, went from sharing poetry to then doing these workshops and <laughs> so forth. Um, our words are powerful. What we say, it affects people. It impacts people's life. And I think it's very important to be aware of not just the actions that you take, but the words that you speak. Our, our words are, they, they actually can make someone's day, they can, you're either uplifting people or you're tearing them down or you're doing the same for yourself. So it's important to be aware of what you are saying, your internal dialogue, as well as what you're saying out in the world. And on that note, I think it's time for you, if you don't mind, to read your poem called Using Their Eyes for Our Reflection. If only we could travel back in time to form a shield that would block all of the fabricated recycled ideas of what beauty is in order to define our worth. This shield would block any teaching that would groom us into seeing a reflection that we couldn't love, as if loving ourselves should be measured by the number of perceived outer flaws we possess. The fewer the imperfections, the more deserving we are of a better life, of receiving affection. Or how about we travel even further to stop the beginning concepts of attractiveness? that leads to mental and physical destruction in order to construct ourselves into enhanced products. But here we are in a reality where being bombarded with definitions of beauty since the beginning of social conditioning, traveling its message into cartoons, commercials, videos, movies, magazines, and from those in our environment, our friends, family, our peers who thought they were justified in pointing out what they didn't like about us. We have to make the choice to not allow anything or anyone to decide for us if we are beautiful. Whenever I looked at myself, all I saw were flaws. And these flaws guided the words I spoke and the actions I took. These flaws had me accept words spoken to me that furthered my dislike for myself and the actions taken toward me that furthered me, that furthered my need to be invisible until I became invisible. My hands have been wrinkled since birth. No reason for it, they just are. When I was in elementary school, I remember a kid asked me once if I was in a fire. I don't think he was being rude, just curious. I spent most of my days hiding my hands with gloves and my long sleeve shirts, putting them in my pockets or behind my back. I didn't even like to meet people because then I would have to expose my unsightly hands to abide by the common courtesy rules when meeting someone new, the culturally agreed upon social norm of handshakes. I didn't want anyone's soft and normal hands to touch my rough, small and wrinkled hands. Yet I couldn't avoid their reach to partake in a civilized ritual as I would unfortunately come off as rude. So I did shake hands and I always got that look. Their eyes and smiling face went from looking at my face down to my hands. And their smiling face transformed into shock, confusion, and sometimes disgust. The funny thing is, I didn't know anything was wrong with my hands until I received the questions and repulsed reactions. Then there's my skin. It wasn't about digesting dehumanizing toxins to have me loathe my color. I didn't like my skin because of its blemishes. My skin from head to toe was not perfect, again, in elementary school. I was wearing shorts and a friend of mine pointed out the imperfections in front of others. They laughed and made jokes. I allowed that to affect me. So in addition to covering my hands and arms with long sleeve shirts, I then wore pants no matter how hot the summers were. All the time I spent hiding. Then I didn't like my eyes, my nose, my height, my hair, my voice, me. As I accepted the poisonous opinions others had of me, I then began to create my own toxic assessments and the result was believing I didn't matter. I know now that we are more than our looks, yet when I was younger, that seemed so valuable. I noticed the pretty girls getting asked out. I noticed the pretty girls invited to school dances. I noticed the pretty girls getting treated better, enjoying life. I equated pretty with worthy of love, worthy of having what you want in life, being allowed to believe your dreams can come true. For a while, I thought if just some prince could save me, I didn't know that I had all I needed within me to save myself. No, 
I thought if some man could love me, then everyone else would see I was deserving of it. Then I would realize I was deserving of it, but I didn't. And I couldn't mold myself into what the ideal beauty was in relation to the environment I was in. So I was not seen as pretty. And I just wanted to not be seen. If I wasn't seen, then I wouldn't be reminded that I wasn't enough. There comes a point in your life where you can continue settling in the pain or realizing your part in adding the chains, holding you back from living a life worth living. You have a right to process your emotions from disapproval and dismissal, yet I hope you get to a place where you realize it's more painful to stay the same than it is to change. Stop allowing the ill-intentioned views and remarks from being louder than the truth. We owe no one beauty subjective to their vision, and they also don't owe us their affection. Yes, it is human need to be loved, and you may want to be desired. However, if you have been rejected, you were actually being protected because we should not accept those in our lives who don't accept us for who we are. And if we're transfixed on chasing acceptance from those who can't or won't give it, we won't see those who already surround us loving all of us. I myself couldn't recognize or trust the judgment of those who were attracted to me because all I could see is what was missing and wishing I had what others wanted. There are so many ways we can look at ourselves, whether it's through someone else's eyes or our own, yet the conclusion must be to love ourselves. We are not validating our existence to be what others expect us to be. We have to decide for ourselves who we are, how we want to present ourselves, and to love how we were created. We don't need some prince to wake us into his vision, some prince to find us past midnight to fit us into his last world, breaking paths for us to turn into our breaking paths for us to turn into our own hero or shiro. We are not princesses or princes who need saving. We can save ourselves. Since we didn't have that shield to block lies, we can rid ourselves of the thoughts residing within us that blinded us from loving ourselves inside and out. Restore our sight as we replace the outsider's echoes and all the damaging statements we spoke to ourselves with empowering declarations that will unravel the chains and heal internal scars to secure an unbreakable confidence. Now we don't need a shield. In so many ways, people will try to defeat us, but they can't touch us. Once we have decided to no longer be told who we are or how to look, once we have become aware of how amazing we are, we won't let anyone take that away from us. And we won't take that away from ourselves. Only speak words that nurture your spirit. Only make choices that lift you up. And always look in the mirror to love what you see. I'm just going to reread that last piece. So people can really, really hear these words. Only speak words that nurture your spirit. Only make choices that lift you up. And always look in the mirror to love what you see those the whole thing like it is so powerful and I am going to post it on my blog because I want people to read this again so why why do you think the weight of others approval is so heavy first of all so wanted and why is it so heavy it's so heavy because we we put so much emphasis on it being our importance to existing. And it's because we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We, we want to make sure that we can um, not experience being abandoned, rejected, criticized, or judged. That doesn't feel good. <laughs> so you want to make sure that you have, you know, people around you and you feel wanted and you feel loved. But it's important to realize that the people you want around you need to be those who truly love you and respect you and appreciate you because you can have all these people around you and you'll still feel alone if they don't really know you or if they don't really truly care about you. So that's why I say it's so important to be true to who you are and attract those in your life who will accept you and respect you for who you are. And once you do that, then you release that weight of having all these people around you who aren't even truly there for you or caring for you. Uh, there's just, I get it. You don't want to be alone. And that was a huge problem for me. I did not want to be alone. Loneliness was my biggest thing. And now I can be alone without feeling lonely. Now I can be alone and appreciate that time with myself and learn more things about myself and just do things where I'm being independent and I love it. And now I, without having that weight of caring so much about what people think about me with caring about well, who's going to do whatever it is, I'm hoping that will give me external validation. I'm not, I don't, I don't want that anymore. You know, I mean, there are now and then there are times where of course that external validation feels good. You know, you want people to like what you write. You want people to like, you know, certain things about you, but at the end of the day, you need to be happy with yourself and what you've done in life. The creativity part, organic ecstasy, 
encouraging your creativity to find your high and bring more joyfulness into your life. So I do know that you have done a couple of documentaries, right? Uh, well, truly one documentary. Truly one. <laughs> I was kind of doing one. I started one, but yeah, I, I have I completed one. <laughs> so I've done one as well. So I know the work that goes into doing a documentary and I know the hours and I know um, the passion and the creativity behind putting a story together like that. So is that where you are finding your organic ecstasy is in doing those kind of projects and this book or where do you find it? It was a few things. Like when I talk about that in the book, it came from when I was doing all these dances, these dance routines and everything. And, and when being a part of this environment where we are, you know, working together and doing dance routines and performing and, and just having a good time that was fun to me. I love being creative and doing that had me realize, Oh, I want to get back into acting or get back into being around my friends who are involved in the arts in some way. And that just makes me feel like more alive. So for me, being around creative people doing participating creative activities makes me feel, it brings me joy and it makes me feel, it makes me feel like I'm living. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, when I did the documentary that we're speaking of, that it wasn't even where I was planning on doing a documentary. That all happened was after I graduated college, I then started working at a university where they had a trip that they were taking students to New Orleans to participate in hurricane relief efforts. And they were looking for chaperones and I was happy to volunteer. I was like, yes, I'm all about it. I want to do this. And when we were there in New Orleans, I met so many people and they just wanted to share their story. I mean, from the children to the adults, everyone just wanted to share their story and it was heartbreaking. And so I, I came back home and I, my boyfriend at the time, we're, we're married now, but I told him, you know, what I experienced out there. And I'm like, I want to do something. I want to make a difference. And so we decided to do a documentary and we went back there, um, back and forth a few times and we interviewed children, we interviewed teachers, uh, therapists, community activists, everyone sharing how their community was affected after the hurricane and the breach of the levees, how um, the housing situation changed, their mentality, what was going on with their mental health. So it was just all these different things that people were going through. And we, we had that into the documentary to promote awareness of what was going on in New Orleans still years after the hurricane, and then what people can do to get involved in order to help alleviate some of the struggles that people were going through. So it was at a few film festivals and, you know, a couple events um, I either hosted or was invited to, to to show the documentary, but it was used, it was a tool for that, just promoting awareness of what was going on and doing that documentary just meant so much to me. And I definitely love it. I would love to do another documentary and keep going on with it, but I just started getting more involved with doing these workshops and um, I use a lot of videos with my workshops. So I'm still kind of doing filmmaking and editing, but yeah, someday I'll I'll probably do another documentary. Okay. So when you get the call, how do you support your loved one that's living with emotional pain? I have gotten those calls. So I'm interested in hearing this. It is so important to be understanding, be empathetic, try to understand what they're going through, listen to them. It's important to not tell someone to snap out of it, get over it. You have no problems. People are worse off than you. Like, please do not criticize anyone where they're going through this. Um, don't try to do anything that belittles them or demeans them in any way whatsoever. Just listen to what they're going through. T- try to understand them. Um, be aware of the words that they're using and the actions they're taking to see if they're um, at any risk for maybe attempting suicide. Like if they're saying things like life would be people would be better off without me. Or if they're saying things like, well, things will matter pretty soon here. Or if they actually say, I want to die. You know, at that point, first and foremost, I know some people may think, oh, I don't want to ask somebody if they're thinking about committing suicide. And also don't say committing because that's that applies it's a crime. So when people say um, they, they don't know how to bring up, like, are they thinking about su- uh, attempting suicide or taking their life? 
but it is important to actually bring that up and actually say those words so they can actually talk about it and have someone to go over, you know, process what they're thinking and what they're feeling. So you're not going to be, you know, in inviting them to think that way or, or introducing them to be thinking that way. It's, it's actually, if they're, if they're already thinking it, it'll help them to talk about it. So I do want to mention that it, it definitely isn't on you to save everybody, but at the same time, if you can be there for them, be understanding and um, listen to what they have to say, be supportive, maybe help them in find, seeking help in a way that is best suited for their needs and following up with them to make sure that they are making appointments. And if they are at risk, then do you need to take away some, some aspirin pills any any hazardous material like knives, guns, whatever they could use to take their life with. Um, at that point, it would be good to take all that stuff away and make sure they're not alone and call a professional. I've done, it's called Living Works. Have you ever heard of Living Works? I feel like you talked about it on one of your episodes. Yes. And I think I looked it up. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, but that sounds so familiar. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think you talked about it on one of your episodes. Yes. And that is a big part of their message as well is it is okay to ask. It is, and it's actually encouraged because it gives the person um, the feeling that they can talk about it and that it, it makes it more real and that it's not something, you know, just in their head that they're, they're thinking about, but it actually makes it tangible and then makes them really think, oh, I don't know if I actually want to do this or not, right? Mm -hmm. So absolutely important if you feel like somebody is thinking of attempting suicide to actually ask out loud if that's what they're thinking and give them the opportunity to talk. Yeah, so important. Uh, So important. Um, Another big piece of your book that I absolutely love is the self-empowerment, social, emotional, mental wellness, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The inclusion piece. Oh my goodness. I love it. (laughs) Let's talk about the inclusion piece, especially um, when it comes to race, sexuality, um, you name it. It's a big discussion right now, which it absolutely needs to be. What's your thoughts on it? (laughs) <laughs> there, there's so much to say on that. So I guess it depends on where you want this topic to go. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, where do you want it to go? <laughs> well, I'll just, I'll, I'll speak on it in this way. In my book, I share about how I came to know what my race was to begin with. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but did, did you have to find out what you were or like, Nope. Yeah. Never. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it was interesting. Um, when people read the book, they'll, they'll know what I'm talking about on, on how I was able to find out what I actually was and then what that meant afterwards on how like the whole status thing and, and how you're treated depending on what identity you are um, and, and whether it's your race or your disabilities or your gender expression, sexuality, whatever. And so for me with race, I was learning so much. I was starting to notice so much. And in school, we weren't really taught things that had us, that had me see myself in a very positive way. The education I was getting when it came to black history was really on a side of, you know, we were oppressed. There was nothing great about us. We had nothing to offer. (laughs) You know, there was no stories of our power, our, um, our contributions, of our achievements, anything that could have you see yourself in a positive way. And, and in movies and in, even in dolls. So I didn't like playing with dolls. Dolls wasn't my thing, but because I was assigned girl at birth, people just assume, well, she's a girl, so she's gonna like to play with dolls. And so I, I played with dolls because that was what was given to me. But even for Christmas, I was like, no dolls. And I did an exclamation points, all capital letters. I still got dolls. And it was just like, why do we force you? We see people a certain way and we think that's who they are. And this is what we give them. And this is how we see them. And, and that was frustrating. That was my first introduction to that. And, but I still kept going along with it because I thought I had to. But so with dolls though, I didn't see 
dolls that look like me. The dolls were, you know, Barbie. <laughs> they were blonde, blue eyes and pretty. And um, I didn't see any dolls back then that looked like me. Thankfully, there's a ton of diverse dolls now, different ethnicities and so forth. And so I, I love that different weights and, and different hair textures and, and all of that. And I just didn't have that. So that right there, your first introduction to what beauty is, what was dolls, because they're, you know, little replicas of humans. <laughs> and so I was, that was a, the first thing that taught me I wasn't beautiful. And then in commercials or magazines or billboards, I wasn't seeing people that look like me in, in there. And in movies, I didn't see us as the girl that was wanted, that was sought after, or um, in any way, I didn't see Black women as the attractive, like, identity to have. Like, it, I didn't see that. And, and then in school with what I was learning and then in the news, just constantly seeing us as like the criminals and in movies, it was like, you're the help or you're the criminal, you know? So there wasn't positive stuff all around. I wasn't seeing it. So that affected how I saw myself. Because if you can see yourself in a positive way in leadership roles or in any ways that are positive attributes to have, characteristics to have, if you can see all of that stuff, I'm not saying you're necessarily going to become exactly what you see, but it can help you realize that you're capable of becoming more than what you think. And since I wasn't seeing that, I thought that there was, I had nothing to offer. <laughs> and so noticing that, and then finally I was in a, a play when I was around 18 or 19, I was in a play, it was a George Washington Carver play. And I realized, oh, wow, I didn't know that there was any part of our history where we were um, inventors. I didn't know that there were, you know, millionaires or that we were entrepreneurs or scientists or doctors and lawyers and politicians. I didn't know all that stuff. And so I started doing research and realizing all of what we were capable of and started meeting people who were doing amazing things. It had me realize like how amazing we are. <laughs> and that helped me to know my identity and, and decide what I wanted for myself and who I can be and what I'm capable of, that definitely helps with the process. So with the whole inclusion thing, it is important to make sure that in every way possible, whether it's in movies, whether it's at work, whether it's in school in our curriculum, we are seeing multiple representations of different cultures, of different identities. And when we do that, we're having this multi-perspective where we can allow ourselves to be able to value other people just they don't have to be you they don't have to look like you they don't have to be of the same race as you or same gender view for you to be able to know they have value so I think it's important to be inclusive with all, all across all identities whatsoever mm -hmm. absolutely there is um, a part of your book that I absolutely loved and it's in the chapter hot chocolate and chai tea Explore the effects that perceptions of race, gender, sexuality, religion, and socio socioeconomic status have on how we feel about and treat ourselves and others. The purpose was to promote seeing each other as fellow human beings so we could value each other and treat ourselves and others with more kindness and love. That's what it's all about. Like, I am so, so grateful for my parents instilling in me that we're all equal. And I, I don't know, like ever since I was a little kid, I have, I have never felt like anyone was any different. And it's as you grow up, you start to see these messages that conflict with what you actually feel in your heart. And it's like, no, that doesn't feel right. And just sticking with what feels right in your heart and knowing that we are all equal, nobody is better than anybody else. And that is what is most important. And just be kind to one another. Kindness, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That is what it is all about. So earlier in the in this interview, you talked about forgiveness and how it is a big part of how you are where you are today is by learning to forgive people, not forget, but for, forgive them forgive yourself. And you have another piece in your book called forgiveness. Would you like to read it for us? Sure. <clears throat> Let me get to that page here. To overcome the thief of feelings that robbed my happiness, peace, friendships, love, me, 
I had to reconstruct my mind, tear down and rebuild my internal being. I needed to forgive. When we are holding on to the anger, hurt and pain toward others and unfortunate incidents, we are keeping ourselves connected to the people and the events, leaving that wound present and open. When we forgive, it doesn't mean we excuse the people, ourselves, or the events. It means we are able to be released from the weight of holding on to that polluted connection, destroying our freedom to be happy. I forgive those who ignored me, family members who rejected me, family members who said words and carried out acts to add to my insecurity, the friends who disregarded me, the friends who treated me like an enemy, turning people against me, the friends who disrespected my race, said racial slurs, and expressed microaggressions. I forgive the guy I kissed because he gave me attention and he didn't correct his friends when they told everyone we had sex. I forgive my guy friend who spread lies about my virtue. The guy I liked but was too shy to kiss so he told everyone I was a tease. I forgive the guy I woke up next to to find him touching me. The boyfriend who verbally, emotionally, and physically abused me. The boyfriends who didn't care about my boundaries. I forgive the guy I wanted to allow myself to love and we let our defense mechanisms get in the way. I forgive myself. I forgive myself for not knowing what to say sometimes. I forgive myself for being uncomfortable with sharing my voice, for being harsh with my tongue, for not knowing how to handle certain situations, for not always finishing things I started, for being naive, for judging others, for not realizing even the bravest and happiest of people have their own battles they're fighting or overcoming too, for thinking anger, cruelty, and hardening my heart meant I was being strong, for protecting myself by hurting people to make sure they wouldn't or couldn't love me, for hurting people, for being vengeful, for not treating people with the same respect they gave me, for not caring for people how they cared for me, for not being there when loved ones needed me. I forgive myself for not making it to the hospital to see a dear friend before he passed, for thinking I would have more days to see those who passed and those who are still here. I forgive myself for not treating others with kindness and respect. I forgive myself for not treating myself with kindness and respect, for taking longer to heal than I'd like, for not trusting I'm worthy of love, for not believing I'm worth knowing, for not believing I'm memorable. I forgive myself for giving most of my attention to those who hurt me, for trusting the destructive words people told me about myself, for attracting what I believed I deserved, for not knowing I deserved to be treated better, for not knowing it was okay to change my mind, for choosing to hide my authentic self and dim my spirit, for not speaking because I didn't think anyone would listen, for all the times I thought I wasn't enough, for losing myself in the belief everyone was better, smarter, prettier, and more lovable than me. For not having the bravery to allow sincere people to love me. I forgive myself for not knowing how to love others. I forgive myself for expecting from others. No one owes me attention, attraction, love. That doesn't mean I don't want it or need it. I need to feel connected. I want to feel attractive. I need to be loved, feel loved. But I forgive myself for expecting that from those who couldn't or wouldn't give it. I forgive myself for thinking there was something wrong with me for feeling empty because I didn't receive or think I was receiving genuine compassion or love. It hurts that I didn't see people around me who loved or cared for me the best way they knew how. So I kept seeing nothing, kept feeling nothing. I forgive myself for not having the confidence and courage to love myself. I forgive myself for not knowing how to love myself. And I didn't really need to forgive you, Father. I met the sister we never knew we had and her mother, the other woman, her mother shared the insecurities you had. They were similar to mine. I'm not angry with you. I understand why you chose the choices you did. It's okay if our paths did not have the opportunity to walk together. On April 23rd, 2012, I was traveling out of this country with my boyfriend to places I've been dreaming of. On that same day, you were traveling to your final resting place. I was told about your passing when I got back to the States. At that moment, I realized I will now not have the chance to meet you. I saw you before we left when I was five, but I didn't know you. I didn't know you now. Now I won't ever have the opportunity to know who you are, hear your voice, see similarities in our faces, hear similarities in our voices. I will not ever get to meet the man who made, who had a part in creating me. I genuinely hope that at some point you knew your worth. I hope your journey was filled with people in your life who cared about you. I hope you knew you mattered. Rest in peace, love. I have goosebumps on my goosebumps, okay? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Hearing you read it is even more powerful than reading it myself. I was trying not to like ugly cry there. <laughs> um, I end every interview with something that I'm grateful for. And without a doubt, I am grateful for you reading those two poems for me. But most importantly, that last one, because it is exactly what I needed to hear today. And it has so much in it that is 
relates to me and what I have been, what I've gone through. So I'm so grateful for that. What are you grateful for today? I am grateful for so much. I am grateful for just being here, existing, breathing. And I'm grateful for the people that I have in my life that are good for me. <laughs> I'm grateful for having the opportunity to meet people like you and, and be a part of these conversations. And there's just so much I'm grateful for. And I'm, I'm happy that I allow myself to know what I'm grateful for. <laughs> Spending a lifetime of like not being happy and being miserable and not feeling a point to living and finally getting to a place where I actually am happy to be breathing. That is what I'm grateful for. Yep. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. A thousand percent agree actually. So where can my audience find you and learn more about you and get your book and all the good stuff? Yeah. So if you go to hiyates.com or just dissolving the anchor.com, the title of the book, it'll take you to the same place. So my website gives, you can email me, you can subscribe to my newsletter and be able to see the quick tip videos for managing your social, emotional, mental wellness. You can also um, see if you want to be a part of any of our workshops for social empowerment, for self-empowerment. Um, also, if you want to order the book, so you can also go to the website for that and my social media access to contact me on social media is also on my website. So either hiyates.com or dissolvingtheanchor.com. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I, I can't recommend this book enough. It is phenomenal and just everything, the story, the artwork, the poetry, everything about this book is great. So definitely go and check it out. And thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me on your show, Tiffany. Have a good day. Thank you, Halima, for being here today with me and my listeners please go and check out her book. You will find so much inspiration from it. All of her information will be in the show notes on my website. And speaking of websites, like I said, I have been focusing on getting things done. And one of those items was getting my website to a place where I can feel like it's ready to be shared with the world. It is not completely ready, but what websites are ever really done? None. So go check it out. There is a page just for this podcast and has all of the past episodes and show notes on it. The website is www.mistiffvon.com. One of my favorite spots on my podcast page, hands down, are the reviews. They make my heart burst, literally, every time I see them. As any podcaster will tell you, reviews are what keep us going and are what help us know that what we're doing actually matters. So I would be honored if you would leave me a review and you can find out how to do that. You guessed it on the podcast page of my new website. I wanted to make it easy for all of you. And don't forget coming up in September, I will be taking on my first coaching clients. I am very, very excited to offer three types of coaching in the fall. And all of them are centered around empowering people to start using their voices. The coaching I will offer is soul coaching, podcast coaching, and I'll also be introducing my Woman Speak Circle events. More info on all of these will be introduced in the last episode of this season at the end of July, so please be sure and listen and watch my social media channels and website. Until next time, please be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.